Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined in our Rockford studio with my good friend, long-term good friend and co-host, Mr. Jason J.Z. Zanger. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jim. And, you know, we were actually just reflecting on, speaking of long-term, the, I know. the history of making chips and just going back to 2013. And now we're here in the Rockford studio with our new partners. It's kind of exciting You're aging for us. me, man. You're, you're giving me more gray hair every day. <laughs> yeah, I think that those gray hairs are aging you more I know. than me. <laughs> I feel it myself. But anyway, I've been wanting to ask you, you've been looking a little lean lately. What's going on? So I found out like a month ago from my doctor that I'm pre-diabetic. I have high cholesterol and low thyroid use, which means that I need to cut things out. That's and I think that's kind of part of the lean process, right? No bueno. Yeah, it's no good. So I'm, I've been cutting out, you know, all the all the stuff that turns into glycose or, or whatever. So I'm not a doctor, yeah. I'm a manufacturer. So I think I think in the lean process, you cut out things that aren't contributing to um, the success whatever. of your health. Yeah, exactly. So right. that's what I'm cutting out, buddy. So, but thank you for noticing. Are I you are you that. doing that successfully, or you know? Yeah, no. Honestly, I I, I mean. You're still eating cookies. I always see you I eating had, cookies. Okay, okay, so I mean, you know, I'm a booze hound, but and I'm not going to cut that out of my lifestyle. So but I, I haven't completely cut it out, but I'm limiting it. So okay. I, I had a couple bites of a cookie and I threw it in the garbage. Okay, so, and I've been working. I've been really deliberate about my working out. Yeah. So you know, I got four kids. I got a bunch of boys. I got to keep up with them, buddy. You know, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Well, I'm all about sensible lifestyle, moderation. I've been doing it for a long time. As a matter of fact, I have to tell you the story that you didn't, I didn't even share with you. Somebody that I know from the Rockford community sent me an email and said, I really like your YouTube series. I've been watching it as I'm on the treadmill. We have a YouTube series? I, yeah. Where do we go to get that? Well, you just go to YouTube and Google Making Chips. It's one word. Well, I think that, it's YouTube.com slash Making Chips, if I'm I don't not know. correct. Just Google, just Google Making Chips and YouTube. It'll come right up. But anyway, getting to this health thing. So this guy's watching on the treadmill my, my YouTube series, right? Our YouTube series, excuse me. And I sent an email back and I said, that's fantastic. As a matter of fact, I'm a big exercise guy. I've been doing it for decades. I said, take the number 220 minus your A's and multiply it by 80%. And that's what your heart rate should be for and elevate your heart rate to that for 30 minutes and keep going. He sent me an email back just yesterday. I got it when I was in California. And he says, I took what you were saying and I'm feeling really good. I'm 62 years old. I've never exercised in my entire life and I feel really good. And I'm, well, I'm glad I could equip and inspire you on the manufacturing side. And I'm glad I could equip and inspire you on the health side. I thought as well. you said you weren't a doctor, Jim. No, I'm not. I just, I just know what I know, to, right? He pretends to be one on a podcast. Yeah. So, like, one of the interesting things you is that. You slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. One of the interesting things is that if you had to make a choice, you know, you're yes. talking about like your heart rate, if you had to make a choice between weightlifting and cardio, traditional, cardio, which one would you choose? Definitely cardio based on what I know. No, I, I would actually disagree well, based on like that's the research another, that I've that's done. Another it's podcast. weightlifting first. But don't but just don't be the guy that sits there texting for five minutes between sets. So that's that's a big thing. Is this about manufacturing or is this about it's related health? It's related. Okay. All right. It's, it's about, about being in lean. some way. Yeah. It's about being lean. Well, since he keeps yapping over in our ears, why don't we move on to our, our friend Nick Golner and see if he has any manufacturing news. You got any manufacturing news for, yeah, for we us, thought Yeah, we, we thought we'd delegate some responsibility to Nick <laughs> yeah. to lead so our manufacturing. So you're my assistant, and now you have an assistant, Well, right? we'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
All right. So today's article comes from Industry Week. It's manufacturing's mixed messages aren't helping close the skills gap. Some excerpts from the article. Are we making headway in closing the manufacturing skills gap? The answer seems to be no. In their latest study of the U.S. manufacturing sector and its future workforce needs, the manufacturing institute and consulting firm Deloitte says the skills gap not only persists, but that the results appear to highlight a widening gap between the jobs that need to be filled and the skilled talent pool capable of filling them. Despite being the focus of significant attention, manufacturing skills gap persists and is reportedly growing worse. Although the perceived reasons for the gap have flexed with time, the 2018 study shows that manufacturers believe finding the right skill set for advanced technologies is the number one contributor to the talent gap, followed by students' and parents' negative perception of the manufacturing industry. In the 2015 study, retiring baby boomers were identified as the primary contributor. So thanks a lot, old guys. You know what? That kind of stuff offends me because I've been in manufacturing my whole life and it's given me a good quality of life for my whole life and it's given my kids a good quality of life. And to think that people don't realize how successful you can be in this industry just I, I don't know. It just it, it it offends me when I hear this, and it seems like it's constantly being regurgitated again and again and again and again. And people, the millennials, the Generation Z is a Generation Z now under millennials. They don't want to get into it because their parents don't like it. They don't see a future in it. I mean, what do we need to do as a community of leaders to get this clear message out that manufacturing is awesome and it can sustain a, a career a lifetime. So I'm going to say something which might by some be perceived as controversial, especially if they're at the wrong end of this. Talking to you, talking with our friend Jessica Ducci from from Smalley Manufacturing, talking to other manufacturing leaders, I think the one thing that maybe Deloitte has wrong is that a lot of times for these surveys, they're speaking to the large manufacturers. And let's be honest, like people let's usually honest, let's people, u- people usually want to leave those poorly run. And this is not all large manufacturers, but there's a lot of large manufacturing companies that are not that don't necessarily have a good culture. And I'm right. talking the really large companies, the ones that Deloitte's probably talking to. And they want to go to work for a company like yours and like Smalley and you know Zengers and AME, places that value their people. They have like a why behind what they do with everything. And that gap is going to be widening for those companies that aren't good places to work. But for people like yourself and myself and the other people I just mentioned, I don't think they're having as hard of a time as some of these other not as well-run manufacturing so you companies would, are you, having. You personally believe that it's these big manufacturing companies who Deloitte is well, I think going bro- to, to no, get their opinions? I think broadly it's the companies that just don't have a great culture. Okay. Are, that are losing people because people are going to move from them to somebody else where they enjoy spending 10 hours a day. Because, right. you know, ultimately, we've said this so many times, and, you know, other people have said this so many times, it's not about the money that you pay. That's not the number one thing. I agree. It's, it's not. So, Nick, what do you think about that? Do you think it's just all big manufacturing companies that Deloitte is going I'm, out I'm, to? I might have because I'm not necessarily big, but I think that they probably sway more towards that being a big consulting firm. That's that's who they've got the ears of. I think it has to do with the technology. So, like as a young person, if my job was just going to be like going and pushing a button or like loading and unloading a part or doing the same repetitive process, or turning over a knob and over on a bridge again, port. 
I wouldn't be as interested, but like the technology in the space is advancing so fast. It's really interesting to think about like designing your own part and then bringing it to the shop and making it. And I think like Titan Gilroy is doing a really good job getting the kids involved in all aspects of the product manufacturing process from the design all the way through the to making it. And I, I think more of explaining like everything that goes into making a part and, and what makes that finished product would get more more kids involved. Because I think young men and women still like making things. They still want to like be craftsmen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, I actually, he, he's a proponent of when it comes to communicating with parents saying, forget about spending that money on college, spend $20,000, buy a small Haas or a Herco or, you know, one of these smaller machines and put it in your garage and start learning how to use that machine. Of course, you know, he's got, you know, his academy for that and then get a job working for somebody and then you can go and start your own business. And I think that the future is, a, is going to be centered around the entrepreneur, especially as people have a lot of choices for where they want to go to work because the market is so tight. Yeah, it's hard to find an unemployed machinist with some skill. Really is, really is. So anyway, we can talk about that for Let's get hours. Get back to lean. Let's get back to lean. But before we start talking to our VIP guest today, who is going to talk just about that and very being lean. Person. Did you know he looks kind of our VIP guest looks a little bit like Nick? He does. He I does. Wonder why? Kind of weird. I wonder why. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll yeah, find they have the out. same beards. We'll have them on in just a minute. But I've got exciting news about the making chips. Oh, you do? I do. We have an exciting new team member, and her name is Christine Schmitz. She's going to be our managing editor at Making Ships. And we met with her this morning, and she's really a dynamic person. Super excited. Super excited to have her on board and join the team. And I believe we're going to have her on a future and upcoming podcast. Yes, we are. She's going to help us to tell better manufacturing stories. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to make it sound cool and sexy, right? Yeah. We We need to kind of edit what you say, Jim, so that we can sound better. How about that? That sounds good. That sounds good. So do you, did you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Because I've got lots of questions I'd love for to. him. So go right ahead. So we have on the show today, Noah Golner, who is a veteran to the Making Chips podcast. He was on the show at IMTS 2016. So as I mentioned before, Noah is Nick Golner's brother, which is why they have very similar looking beards and facial structures and everything like that. But um, (laughs) more importantly than that, Noah is Vice President of Continuous Improvement for Hennig Inc. And Hennig Inc. is a global manufacturer of machine protection, facility safety, and chip management systems. He's also a lean expert who presents on lean practices, and he's also on the board of directors of QRM. Noah, welcome to the show. Thank you. No, welcome to Making Shifts, man. Second time around. It was in 2016. We were at IMTS. We were downstairs, and you and Nick, we had just met you guys for the first time. We talked a little bit about QRM at that time, right? We did, and I think that we should actually get back into that a little bit in the future, too. But today, we're talking about lean problem solving, and Noah's going to help us through that process. So my first question out of the gate, Noah, is why does a small machine shop with 10 employees, why do they need to devote time to integrate lean into their thought process and just things that they do? Why do they need to do that? What is the overwhelming ROI that they're going to get back on that? And more importantly, how fast is it going to be effective? I mean, there's a lot of ways to get ROI. I think it would just depend on how you look at it. There's cost savings, there's improvements in throughput, but then there's other things like the developing of your employees, building problem-solving skills, 
good employee morale when they feel like they're part of the overall mission of the company. So to be honest, I think it's almost necessary to even survive. You cannot stay the same today in business and still be there in five or 10 years. Competition gets harder and harder every year and you can't improve without change. You, know, you can't change without improving unless you're going the wrong way. I agree. Um, Tell me a little bit about what Hennig has been doing with regards to lean and some processes that they've they've implemented that you've seen some successes on. Uh, Hennig, we've kind of taken the approach of kind of lean enterprise. So really, instead of having siloed areas where yeah you have your sales group, your engineer group, you know inside sales, manufacturing, quality. Lean is really flowing value to your customer, and value flows through all those parts of your organization. And the best way to flow value to your customer, in my opinion, is that you kind of connect all those elements together. And so that's where we kind of have the term lean enterprise. Manufacturing is at the end of that chain to the customer. So it sure is. A lot of what makes them successful or unsuccessful happens upstream. That could be quality engineering, you know, your supply chain, making sure you have the right parts at the right time. Do you have good employee development? Are they part of that ongoing problem-solving process? Do they see how they connect to the overall vision or mission of the company? So, so it sounds like lean is not just about the shop floor. It's not just about the shop floor, no. So let's take a little bit of a, a step back. So we mentioned we mentioned QRM that you're involved with the board there, and we've also talked about lean. So let's let's take a step back and tell us in your words, because I know a lot of people out there have different definitions. We talked about my lean practices and, and my diet of cutting out carbs and stuff like that. But what would be your definition of lean and how is that different from QRM? My definition of lean, I would say, is really flow value to the customer. And then to be honest, we all flow things we don't want to the customer, you know, late deliveries, bad quality from time to time. These are the things we want to eliminate. Right, so, right. And that's where the elimination of waste comes in, which is what I think a lot of people think about with lean and especially when you compare it to lean and health and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. cutting out your cookies and your all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, it's how do we provide value to our customers? How does Lean help you do that? Okay, and what about QRM? What does QRM mean? It's it's quick response manufacturing, but it could also be called quick response management. And really that is, you look at, I wouldn't say it's different than Lean, it's just more of a time-focused Lean, or Lean through a lens of time. takes. It's a formalized written process, right? um, It's more of a philosophy or type of thinking. It's a lot of, what are the steps of a process? How long does it take? And what's happening in between those steps? So that what happens in between the steps they call white space, and it's really big. And when you're trying to reduce lead time to your customer throughout order intake to shipping, what is white space? White space is all the time that's spent in between value added work. So it could be time it takes from doing quotation to when the engineer starts designing, or the time it is from when engineering releases it to the shop till person starts making a part. Is this related to the elimination of, say, bottlenecks? Yes, it's a big part of it. So in Lean, there's a big time with value stream mapping, or a lot of emphasis on value stream mapping. And in QRM, they do value stream mapping, but they make MCT maps, which is machine critical path time. So yeah, they'll take the steps of the process, figure out where are those biggest areas of white space, and then what can you do to reduce it, and then thus reducing your lead time. Right, because my my understanding is that you've taken... The machine enclosures, which a lot of you out there in the metalworking nation have seen your machine enclosures because you make them for a lot of the popular machine tool brands out there. So my understanding is that you've really closed the gap on the length of time that it takes to manufacture one of these enclosures. Yeah, we're starting to focus on enclosures now. Our biggest success was on our 
conveyors. We were at 12 weeks, worked it down to six weeks. Okay, maybe weeks. that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. and now we're actually down to three weeks. And that's for a new design. So if a customer wants us to design a conveyor for their machine, we can take the order, engineer it, and ship it to them within three weeks. And we do that on a pretty consistent basis. That's pretty amazing for a custom manufacturing job. Yeah, our goal is if we can make a custom conveyor faster than our competitors can re-release, then we're still the faster option. And then that's a good way to capture some more business. So. You know, I, I'm still a little cloudy coming from a small shop environment, Noah. And, you know, I hear, we hear these words all the time, lean. And, and it, can you break it down to me and give me some real world shop floor strategies and processes that we can do starting tomorrow to just for the, the small shop out there? That what can they start doing tomorrow to implement? Any kind of lean process? Do they need to read a book? Do they need to do this? What resources could you guide them to to help them implement some lean practices? Sure. I mean, there's always books to read. There's always YouTube videos, stuff like that. If they went to YouTube, what would they Google lean or in, search? They could Google lean in manufacturing or Toyota Kata or really how to set a challenge and then problem solve your way through that. That's kind of what Kata is. It's setting a challenge and then kind of a routine or a cadence of what kind of problem solving steps can you go through over and over and over to become where it becomes like a habit. And then that's just kind of your way of life. I would caution against, there's kind of what some people would call like a shotgun approach where, oh, let's go do this or let's go do this or let's go do this. And you can do that and it will, it will add value. But I would say a better philosophy would try to make sure these things are all connected to a overall purpose or overall challenge. So give me with, some for instances like for instance, I went to a seminar a couple of years back called Katacon, which is, you know, oh, spoof off yeah, of Comic yeah, Con, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a bunch of lean practitioners in all sorts of different industries. And uh, the theme that year was have a coach and be a coach. So this is my first time there. You know, I'm have ambitious goals and ambitious goals given to me. So I wanted to figure out, you know, how do I get a whole company aligned towards a singular purpose? and that everyone's a part of it. How do you do that? Right. So I reached out there and then met a woman named Karen Ross, who's actually the co-author of The Toyota Way to Service Excellence, which is the second book. A lot of people are familiar with Toyota Way. So then I started coaching a lot of people in my organization, but I also had her kind of coaching me. And I think that's a real good thing to do. But we started off with purpose. So what's the purpose of our organization? And we came up with, okay, well, at the end of the day, all these things we do, we're trying to make our customers successful and what they want to do. So then we took that statement and kind of applied it internally. So there's external customers, but we also have internal customers. So the manufacturing floor is an internal customer to a lot of things, supply chain, engineering, quality. So if we have the right inputs flowing into them, we're going to put them in the best position to be successful. And, the, and those right inputs should be aligned with your purpose. Exactly. Because you exactly. can get a lot of inputs that are coming into your shop or in your business that are just distractions. Right. That's exactly it. So you start with a purpose and then you set a challenge. And then so all Toyota Kata or Kata processes start with a challenge. Then there's it goes through a framework of you define your current state first, but through the lens of the challenge. So if it's one of ours in the shop floor was we want to be complete and accurate. So we started off with the last step of our manufacturing process, usually in shipping, and say, hey guys, this is the requirements. There we go. This is the requirements we expect from you to make sure you do, we so deliver you went the right backwards. Way. You yes. started in the shipping and receiving department, and you you started to implement lean processes there first, right? And then you worked up from that exactly upstream. So from then there, it probably yeah. went from shipping and receiving. It probably went into inspection. Yep. 
And, and then, then inspection and was probably, you know, plating outside services before that. How yeah, do you, depending on the product group, it could change no matter what right, the product group is. But right. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that was the philosophy. So we said, this is what's required. You tell us, what do you need to be successful to hit those requirements? And then we would document that, just make some okay. notes. All documented. Whatever the requirements are for the downstream process become, or whatever the downstream process needs to be successful became the requirements for that upstream process. And then we kept repeating that same thing. So shipping wants the, for a conveyor example, shipping would want that conveyor on a skid with the right paperwork, secured, it had been tested. They want to make sure it's not on credit hold, the right shipping instructions, weight and dimensions and all that. So they would write that down. So now we measure that. If any one of those things didn't happen, we would Before it it hits the shipping and receiving department. And that's your input into shipping and receiving. And then assembly, they need the skid, they need the belt, they need a conveyor that's properly painted, they need the motor, all the parts. And if they don't get that, whichever one of those things didn't happen, we would write it down. And then so we kind of measure it that way and we through a metric called complete and accurate. So basically if they have everything they need, it's 100% complete and accurate. If not, then we find out what it was. Now, and how do, you, how do you document that? Okay, so we have daily management boards where we go through you know, the typical safety, quality, inventory, delivery, productivity. And then through that, our complete and accurate gets talked about. And then we kind of have a threshold, say we set it maybe at 10 instances in the beginning until we get better, and then we slowly lower it. But the same thing happens multiple times, whichever one rises up. So say machining wasn't giving machining parts to where we need to go, and that happened 12 times in two weeks. Now that tells us we need to focus on this area first because that is the biggest constraint to us being able to flow the value we want through our internal customers to our external customer. So sometimes it could just be as simple as, hey, it's a simple fix. Let's put this up on our daily management. Here's the issue. John Doe's responsible for this. And we want this closed out or fixed by you know next Tuesday. You always put an end date on yeah, an we accountability. Yeah, we need to have a due date or else yeah. it will live Forget up there it. forever. Right. Or there's sometimes where the solution might not be known. It could be a kind of deeper or underlying problem where... I mean, you, at this time right now, you do not have a defined conclusion to how it's going to get better. Correct. But we know it has to get better. Okay. So in okay. that instance, we would move it over to our CATA process because CATA is... Spell that CATA. What? K-A-T-A. K-A-T-A. It's, yeah, it's an acronym for what? what? I don't even think it's an acronym. Oh, I think is it's that just, a Japanese it's term? Like I think Japanese it comes term. from like martial arts or something, yeah. right? Oh, really? Okay. It starts, it's like the routines. I, I thought like. I thought it was another business acronym that was yeah. about to blow my mind up, but that's okay. <laughs> it could be. You know, I'm sure someone will make one up for it at some point. Okay, so CATA. Yeah, so that's like, okay, so that instance could be like, we could set a CATA or a mini CATA maybe. You could say. Okay. We could get into that later. But where we have a challenge of make sure machining delivers the parts 100% of the time, every time, or something like that. Now, the Kata framework would go, well, our current state is 42% of our jobs, we have the machine parts when we need them, right? And then we could say, well, we want to set a target that says you know, something about the process. So maybe we say, well, right now, these parts are being machined by random people throughout the machine department. They there's not really a clear destination of where they go. There's not really a good schedule. So kind of elements of what's happening. We could say our target condition is by next week, we want a dedicated machine cell following this specific schedule, delivering the parts to this specific place and things like that. Of So it's like almost proposing a future state. So a challenge may take depending on the scope of your problem, you know, three months to a year. Right. My target condition is like a bite out of the elephant. Mm-hmm. So a target condition is what can you do within one to two weeks to move yourself closer to that challenge? It, it sounds kind of like one of my big things is 
setting a vision, okay? And when you set a vision, you're like, this is where I want to be in five years, but you've got to say, okay, what do I need to bite off in these next three months, I usually put it at, in order to achieve that vision. And then you got to break that down to what do we need to do in the next week in order to accomplish that three-month goal. I mean, that that's exactly goal. it. That's, you're right on. I mean, and that's kind of the system. And then if you get a lot of people in your organization thinking that way and going through that routine on a daily basis, you start to build like a new culture. You start to build like habits and a new way of thinking. It's almost like you're, you're like making everybody in the company a visionary for what could be in the right. future. And now they all see the role and there's, okay, so a big part of lean and cut and all the stuff is a learn by doing. So if that's the case, you can't start learning until you start doing. And it's not about a failure or, I guess we'll start with the cut process. You set your current state, you set a target condition. Then the next section is obstacles. So what obstacles are in your way right now that are preventing you from being where you're currently at to your target condition? So you'll list those out. Maybe there's five, ten. You don't have to solve all five or ten obstacles. Right, you no. just solve the, enough until you... It would become too daunting. Yeah, to, just, sometimes when you solve one, it solves you, you two might others' get there. value. Exactly. You, know, you might yeah. get there with solving yeah. one or two yeah. obstacles. So, But then you say, which one are we going to focus on right now? It's usually the most high-value one to solve. Yeah, could be. Often it's that. Sometimes it's, this is a quick win. This is a quick... Give everybody some, Yeah, you know, let's see what happens. Some high fives. Right. So then it goes into your kind of plan, do, check, act, or plan, do, study, adjust. I like a little bit even better. So we say, okay, well, we have an obstacle of blah, 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 blah happening. We think that if we try this, we expect this is going to happen. So it's a hypothesis. So that's your plan, do, check. I know yeah. Nick's talked about that a couple of times, and you just reframed it as plan, do... Study, adjust. It's really the same thing, but... It's just really the what language you're doing. You have like a plan, better. you do yeah. the plan, now you study what happened. It's and a scientific you, and, method. Yeah. And then you adjust it if it didn't work right. like you expected. So you make a plan, you do the plan, and you write what you expect to have happen. Then It's like a hypothesis. It is exactly a <laughs> hypothesis. So that you're experimenting through hypothesis. So really you're proposing a hypothesis, running the plan, and then saying what... Actually, before you run the plan, you say, I expect this to happen. This is what I think will happen. Then you do it. Now afterwards, you check or study it. Say, well... I thought this was going to happen and it happened. So I confirmed my original thought or I thought this was going to happen and this other thing happened. And then you learn something. So you either confirm your original thought or you make a discovery and both are valuable. So through that, that's how you solve the obstacles. Solving obstacles helps you get to your target condition. Reaching target conditions help you achieve your challenge. And that's really the philosophy we try to teach our employees so you talked a little bit about the success that you had with your conveyor product, how you've taken it from you know 12 weeks down to three weeks, and that you are actually beating some of your competition on standard product with your special products. You've been to a lot of conferences. What, what have you seen as like some just great success stories when people implement these processes into their companies? And it doesn't have to be manufacturing. Maybe maybe if you have like a manufacturing shop floor example, and you have like a like an office example or, or something like that. Sure. I mean, I can just think of a few in our own company. So when we created that mission, making customers successful, we wanted to know, put some things in our company that are in line with that. So we created a customer success department in a position. A customer success department. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so to make our customers successful, we first of all can't do that without knowing what that is. And success is different for every customer. So we created a voice of customer department. So our first kata for that was, well, how do we get 50 voice of customer inputs every week for us to review. So we set up a kata. That was the challenge. When we started getting voice of the customers, one of those was we do not do a great job answering the phone. No matter how good you do in manufacturing, if you don't answer the phone and you you know piss off the customer before you even get a 
start at it or a crack at it, you got a problem. So I agree. we started measuring it. What was our current state? And it was not great. It was like 20, 30% in some cases. The first time they call, we answer. What do you mean the first time the call? The first time it rings? Yeah, or? no, the first it would hit a voice. Oh, so in order that. to get a hold of you, I need to call you like three or four times. Right. Okay. So you could be great in manufacturing and before you even get to that point, your customers are probably like, not going to call you three or four times. They're right. probably going to call you once and then call, call someone your else. competitor. So we measured that, found our current state, said, okay, so then we kind of systematically worked our way up there. And actually, our customer success specialist led that kata, and we kind of had some progressions through that. So went from 30%, then we kind of staggered breaks with the different inside salespeople. So someone covers someone else. Instead of them all going on break at the same time, now you have a void when people call in. We changed our robot message to real person answering the phone, which oh, I appreciate a okay. lot. Okay, yeah, I'm sure. Um, that's... We set up rules where if it goes to one person, they don't answer, it automatically routes to another person, a backup person before. And just different things like that, experimenting. Hey, let's try this, let's try this. Was it one big obstacle that brought your percentage up significantly or was it just a bunch of little things that you that you solved through the kata process well let's say our starting average was 26.4 percent just by telling all the salespeople we're going to track this it went up to 42 and a half percent yeah yeah i love it right. people inspect what what you expect you know oh that's a good one yeah. i like that so yeah then giving the sales backups for when they're in meetings or vacations got us to 68.9 percent then staggering breaks just a little bit, got us 72.6. And then we kind of did three things at the same time. We had calls filtered through the receptionist, re-recorded the outdated automated system because it was sending calls to the wrong place. And then people who use their personal cell phone for work, we gave them a cash incentive to you do that because it's helpful if they're walking around or something like that. They could still take a call. Oh, wait a minute. That one interests me because there's always talk about personal cell phones on the shop floor. So you incentivize people? Not use- our shop workers. Oh. Our inside salespeople, if they want to oh, walk okay. through the shop floor to check something in shipping. Or okay, some, okay. You know, all those three things together took us from 72 to 93.8%, which... Have, Is that cumulative? That, yeah. Yeah. They worked up. So, and 90% was our challenge. So. Great. And what and what about a shop floor example? Do you have any, any... Yeah, we have a few. I mean, we did it in quoting, went from one to two weeks to one to two days. Our shop floor examples were focused a lot on complete and accurate. So... When we started that that mission, we realized we're like not even close to complete and accurate every time, and it caused a lot of waste, caused time. On your so quoting we process? No. No, now we're talking the shop floor. floor. Oh. So each step of the manufacturing process needs yeah. to be complete and accurate. So like missing accurate. parts or didn't oh. get the parts on time. If so anything, when Bob delivers Joe his input for the next step, sometimes Joe's got to go back to Bob and say, you didn't give me this gear or whatever else it is. Right. And now you need to measure and make sure that those right. How many happen. times did that happen? Right. Like the machinist is looking for a half 13 spiral flute tap and they don't have one and boom. they're ready to boom. Right. And then, oh, we got to call Zanger's industrial and have it overnighted in, you know, UPS next day. We have it in early. stock. So you call yeah. me and I'd well, run it over and, to you. And Jim. Jason yeah. wakes up at two in the morning and brings it right to yeah, him. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I totally get that. I deliver every order. No. <laughs> So that that stuff happens all over the place, though, right? I mean, totally, yeah, I totally. Hear you. So if you want to get better, take your threshold from ten inches down to eight, then down to six, then down to four, you know, and then all of a sudden, this stuff stops happening less. And then instead of flowing through all this stuff and kind of going through a filter and then trying to get value to your customer at the end of the day, you're just flowing value strong the whole way through. So yeah, your tooling. We would just set up a category, said tooling availability or something like that, mm-hmm. or missing tools, or 
could be anything. So it could it, be anything. It could be depends anything. what I mean in the office, the same kind of thing. But yeah, so we would set a challenge of how do we be ninety percent complete and accurate in the next six months, for instance, or something like that. And then we, what are we now? Yeah. When we're not complete and accurate, what is it? You know, all that stuff. Who is meeting? Is your entire shop floor team meeting weekly to talk about this, or daily, or how is it implemented? Yeah, so daily. So the way we're set up, daily. Yeah, we have daily management in all areas. It's a wow. five to 10 minute quick meeting. Okay. What do they sound like? You go through the typical safety, quality, delivery, or safety, quality, inventory, delivery, productivity. But then a lot in quality and inventory is where a complete and accurate comes in. So we would talk to the people and said, what do you need? Well, we made charts around that. And then when they get what they need, it's clear all the way through for every job. If not, they say, oh, well, I didn't have machining. They'd make a check marker. I had everything, but it wasn't in time. I had to wait five minutes to start my job or mm-hmm. 10 minutes or an hour. Or, and so they report that every day and then it goes on the production lead, puts it on the manufacturing floor. They won't hear it on the podcast, but you can see we have a chart and with that red line. Anytime a certain issue pops up above that red line, corrective action takes place. Kind of what I talked about earlier. So everyone participates. No one complains because it was their inputs. They provided the input of what they need and it was communicated to them that we're trying to help you be successful. What do we need? So they define the terms of success are, and then we work to help them. Who's quarterbacking all of that? I mean, obviously there's different layers of leadership that are leading these daily meetings, right? Correct. So we have a production lead that will lead it for the product group. And then Arcata is kind of linked to that. So in Kata, we have one of our plant managers coaches multiple production leads. Now that we're a year or two into this, I kind of moved more to second coaching. I coach the coaches. So there's improvement kata and then there's coaching kata and both kind of have their set kind of cadences and stuff like that and way to do it. But So when you were talking about like how you actually Im- improve the process on the shop floor, that's more the Im- improvement kata? Correct. And then the coaching kata, what's that? It's more developing people focused mm-hmm. on developing your coaches so that they can do a better job coaching. You start off as a learner, then after you're a learner for a while, you can coach. It's best to always be a learner and a coach. At the same time. Yeah. If I was in charge of the whole entire company, I would still try to find myself a coach. And I know very successful people, leaders of businesses, that make sure they have a coach. Because having a coach helps you coach better. Being a learner helps you coach better. So you can link learners and coaches all the way from the shop floor up through your executive suite in a company. I've got one last question and I've got so many things revolving around in my head and you know things that I could implement at my company. It kind of goes back to Jim when you and I when we did that episode on 5S. My dad had beaten a lot of those like 5S things into my brain just from growing up in their house and just how clean and organized everything was. And it was just like, it was part of the culture of our family and it became the culture of our company. And a lot of these lean processes also we have these at our company, but we don't have like a formalized process for it. So what would you say is like the best benefit of, I know this is a basic question, but I think it needs to be answered because there's a lot of manufacturing companies out there that just, they run well, but they don't have the process like you have. So what's the best reason for implementing an actual process like you have versus it just being something that's second nature for you? All right. Well, let's take 5S, for example. I know it well. Right. So I'm sure you guys' companies are pretty well 5S. We were great at 3S for a long time. Mm-hmm. Really good at 3S. We would do it all what the time. What are those three S's? Sort, shine, sweep, all that. What we wouldn't do is standardize or sustain. So when you don't standardize or sustain, you keep redoing the three S's over and over, right? Because you just basically clean it up. It falls back. 
clean it up, falls back. So basically, you're just cleaning over and over. So putting these processes in place, coaching the the right people to make sure they do standardize and do audit and putting that tying that auditing into your daily management. So we put, for 10 years, we 3S'd. We called it 5S, but really we just 3S'd. And, oh, that's interesting. Right. I, that's very interesting. And, I'm sure there's many companies out oh, there I that are, there are. Yeah, yeah, right. So this last year, I got tired of it. So we we in the safety section of our daily management, we put 5S because a clean workplace is a safe workplace. And we just made it simple this time. We said, we got the area looking like it should. We took a picture of it, laminated it, put little pieces of Velcro with a red and a green marker on it, the production lead and who's responsible for the area, so the auditor and who's responsible to keep it clean. And we, because we took the picture of the way it's supposed to look, anytime it looked anything other than that, we would either circle what was missing or point something with a dry erase, right. and then it had to be fixed the next day. Yeah. So we just made it easy. So. It's like Sesame Street. Did it look like this or not? That's why you it know? works. Right. And it because is. Because you made it easy. Right. And we had the discipline to and, and meet we, on it you know, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was pretty much the exact solution that I came up with. So my, my dad is actually getting ready to retire. And his presence as it relates to 5S or 3S, we probably do more 3S, like like you said, really keeps the place tuned up. Like we're him and I are very different. I'm you know more the visionary guy. He's the one that keeps it lean and organized. But like when he's gone we're going to lose that presence and that's going to be a big deal. So that was my solution. Let's take a picture of what Steve wants this place to look like. And that's, you know, the way that it should be. And so I I love that. Yeah. And we just moved our, we just expanded, moved our whole company around. So we're going to have to reignite that again now that every area is new. So start it over, take pictures. This is what it should look like. So Jim, did you learn something? I did. Absolutely. I didn't know there was such a thing as a 3S plan. And I think that's, I think that car machine and tool may be suspect to I, think, I think we are out mostly. And I'm sure there's many other manufacturing companies are that are 3Sing and they think they're 5Sing, but can only do better until you do better, right? Do you think they're QRMing? I think that a smaller percent or might cutting. be. It's all about what you're going to put into your company that you want to get back. Yeah, another good educational seminar on making chips. Yeah, but so thank you, Noah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate your time and effort. So I just want to say to the Metalworking Nation, don't forget to go to makingchips.com, subscribe to the show. Our newsletters will deliver value that's unique and different than what you get from listening to us and our guests on the show. There's actually value beyond Jim there and Jason at Making Chips beyond now. Us. Isn't that amazing? I know, and I can't wait to really elevate the chip-in process on makingchips.com. We're going to have a lot of... What's the chip-in process? Well, I think Nick is a better yeah, guy so to we're, explain we're, that. We're starting to bring in a lot of contributors to publish on our site and kind of access our audience through our platform. And so when we find experts in any given area, they can become a chip-in contributor and publish their knowledge on our site and share it with Metalworking Nation. Yeah, so we want to have people that are experts at lean, experts in Swiss machining, experts in HR, experts in marketing, anything that goes back to elevating the manufacturing industry, machining dynamics. You know, there's just so many things out there that can help to elevate the manufacturing industry, and we want to help to be a conduit for that. You know why, Jason? Because if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam! Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Oh, 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 oh
I just, you know, I just want to just talk. I want to ask the question right now because I want the answer right I know now. You do. But go ahead. We got I wrote buddy. it down. I, I wrote it down. Go ahead. Answer. Um, ask your question.